0: The home of the Masters, Augusta, Georgia, WCW, Monday, Nitro, live on TNT, and are we live? It doesn't get any better than Nitro each and every Monday, the only wrestling program coming your way that every week is live, and we are having a ball tonight. We have got a loaded, and I mean loaded, show. You have got... All 7-foot, 4-inch, 400-some-odd pounds of the giant, challenging the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. That, your main event, here tonight on Nitro.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. Today is, of course, December 18th, 1995, and we are coming to you from the Civic Center right in WCW's backyard, Augusta, Georgia, and uh, I (laughs) am your host, Tim Root, and I'm joined as always by my broadcast
2: partner, Dave Amantorp.
1: Dave, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. We're getting closer and closer to Starcade, and uh, it sounds like we're finally going to get a little bit of a focus on Randy Savage as actually being the World Heavyweight Champion, so... I'm really looking forward to actually seeing a championship match with him tonight.
1: I'm looking forward to that as well. And I'm also looking forward to seeing each and every one of you on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. You can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. And of course, you can email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. We are also a proud member of the piledriverwrestling.net family. And you can find us there in the OSW old school wrestling podcast section. There is a lot to talk about this week, and a lot of it happens right at the top of the show. Uh, pretty much as soon as that intro that we heard at the beginning from Bischoff is done, he tosses it over to Mongo, and Mongo starts talking, and he's very quickly interrupted, and uh, let's hear the audio tape.
0: You gotta love it. Mr. Savage, stay away from that choke slam, my friend. You better have your wrestling tights on tonight. But first
3: of all, look at that little guy. He's whoa, whoa, excited whoa, whoa, whoa. about
4: All right. Can it, everyone. You too, Bat-Dog. I am Medusa, always have been Medusa, and always will be Medusa.
1: As you can hear from that clip, Mongo has just finished uh, making sure that Randy Macho Man Savage knows to wear his wrestling tights tonight and pointed out that Pepe is uh, dressed as a cute little bandito when he is interrupted uh, by a young woman making her Nitro debut, though not her WCW uh, debut. She is known as Medusa here, but she is also known as Alundra Blaze in the World Wrestling Federation, which she just left while being their women's champion. She's also known as Deborah Maselli, and she was uh, started taking on the moniker Medusa when she wrestled in the AWA, where she was trained by Minneapolis wrestling legend Eddie Sharkey. And she spent time in the AWA managing such stars as uh, then-AWA world champion Kurt Henning, while also feuding with Sherry Martel uh, over the AWA Women's World Championship, which she won. In 1988, she became the first woman ever to win the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Rookie of the Year Award. Uh, after that, she did a tour with All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, which we've mentioned in past shows, uh-huh. uh, which in '95 could be considered the best uh, wrestling on the planet, actually. Uh, she did a tour with them, and she liked it so much, and they liked having her so much uh, that they asked her to stay, and she spent the following three years in Japan uh, honing her skills against AJW mainstays like Manami Toyota and Bold Nakano, before eventually joining WCW in 1991, uh, really only to act as a valet, more or less, uh, in Paul E. Dangerously, a.k.a. Paul Heyman's Dangerous Alliance faction. Uh, she valeted for Rick Rude and some other stars in there, uh, but she was eventually kicked out of the Alliance by Paul E. and then had a match against him at uh, the November 1992 Clash of the Champions, which she won.
2: Nice. Uh, yeah, and I and I would say that she, at that point in the mid-'90s, is probably known um, as being the most uh, accomplished women's wrestler... Absolutely. In, ...in America. I mean, she's probably the most recognizable, and there really isn't anyone else right? besides her. In the WWF, when she was champion, they always had to bring someone in just for the sake of a feud, right? in, in which it be, it's always obvious that she was going to come out on top because this other person shows up and then they leave after a few months. Um So yeah. it, I, I thought it was interesting that she decided to go to WCW because up until this point, there has been no indication besides having the Japanese women's wrestlers, that there really was going to be any women's wrestling.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, she, so going through her history a little bit more, she left WCW for WWF who promised to build the entire women's division around her, which they certainly did. They renamed her, uh, Lundra blaze rather than pay her for the name Medusa, which she owned. Hmm. Uh, and she won the reactivated WWF women's championship in a tournament in 1993 after it had lain dormant for three years. She had a great feud with Bull Nakano, who was brought in from AJW just to work with her. Um, she also wrestled against uh, Bertha Faye, yeah. also known as Rhonda Singh. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, yeah, like Dave said, she, she just wrestled whoever they brought in to wrestle her. Um, but it became clear that WWF was not seriously interested in building much of a women's division, especially not when they met Financial Hardship in 1995, uh, when they were looking at, at ways to trim the budget it seemed like their very little-used women were an easy way of doing that. So uh, she was one of the first people kind of in the the trimming of the fat that was let go. They didn't actually release her. They just chose not to renew her contract. Um, and even though when they chose not to renew her contract, it was well-known that she was negotiating with WCW, Okay. they never thought to take the belt off her. Apparently, it just didn't occur to them. <laughs> uh, so that that's a decision that will prove disastrous, um, and we're going to hear audio of... Uh, what happens next from where we picked it off from that uh, audio clip where she interrupted our announcers, uh, but we're gonna uh, I'm gonna play the excerpt of the incident from the Monday Night Wars documentary series on the WWF network or WWE network, excuse me. So we're gonna hear audio clips of what happened. We're also gonna hear quotes on it from Eric Bischoff, uh, Vince McMahon, uh, Beth Phoenix speaks in the clip, um, and I know I'm forgetting so Booker T. Uh, you'll you'll be able to pick out these voices. <laughs> anyone who's okay. listened to any wrestling um so that's gonna be interesting and then right from that clip we're going to go into another clip that i uh took from the uh table for three episode of the wwe network where uh deborah miscelli aka medusa aka alundra blaze sits down and has a conversation with ivory and molly holly uh and that the topic actually comes up so this is probably the best opportunity to hear her side of the story uh so it's it's a little bit long of a clip but i think it's pretty illustrative and we will listen to that now.
3: We made
0: a lot of news. There was a big buzz on the show. We knew that we could do things that nobody ever thought we would do, could do, or should do, and it would probably work.
5: Eric Bischoff's desire to win at all costs produced one of the most infamous moments in sports entertainment history. Alundra Blaze's signing with WWE in 1993 had been a fairly low-profile defection, but with the stakes higher two years later she would return to WCW as Medusa, jumping ship to make an incredible splash.
0: WCW Monday Nitro live on TNT and are we live? When Medusa came over, she had the WWE Women's Championship and you know, she called me and said, John, I've got this belt. Should I send it back to them? What should I do? And I said, no, don't send it back to them, at least not yet bring it to TV with you.
4: This is the WWF Women's Championship Whoa. belt. Whoa.
0: I was able to convince her against her will that it was a great idea to just take that WWE Women's Championship and drop it right in a garbage can on national television.
4: That indeed that's it is. A trash can. And that's what I think of the WWF Women's Championship belt.
2: Taking the WWE Women's belt and throwing it in the garbage, that was... Unbelievable. I did see a
6: London Place dropping the championship into the trash can. It was sort of a tawdry thing to do, uh, and it was a sort of a shot across the bow and uh, pretty much you know kicking the groin, I think, as it was meant to be. When Blaze dropped the belt, you know, in the trash, I think it was disrespectful, um, first and foremost. It just let you know that the war was really on.
4: This is where the big boys play, and now this is where the big
7: girls play. WCW declared war on that night. So it was a big moment in in the history of wrestling.
6: A lunder Blaze made an impact that set off a chain of events behind the scenes, as well as what you saw play out on camera.
0: Holy smokes! Medusa, the WWF Women's Championship, in the belt right here on Nitro. The belt in the trash can on Nitro. I tell you what, I'm in shock.
7: I have known you for a long time but when we worked together at WCW I never asked you about throwing the title in the trash and I think I was kind of nervous like if it would bring up bad memories and I'm just wondering if that's something you're open to talking about or like I would like to hear your side of what happened tell 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 so do you
4: really feel like there's sides to that let me okay I will answer that because I have a lot of respect for you for even asking and after 20, 21 years, you're probably the only one that has ever asked. <clears throat> and, and what I mean by that, people ask me about the belt all the time, but they never asked about the true story. Hmm. And it, so I will answer that. However, I wanna ask you first, give me the perception of what, it was to you and what you heard.
0: Yeah, let's hear the, that.
4: Part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's hear because it. Because the, sh- the the sh- the slice it, <laughs> the hiss it. Yeah. She's Let's do it.
7: Well, I had just heard that people were mortified and like it was such a disrespectful thing. How could she do that? Uh, you know, that this uh, title belt represented, you know, so many great things and that she would disrespect it by throwing it in the trash. I mean, those were things that I had heard. Right. Um, and the people are in the locker room, or are they fans, or both? Because um, it means I, two different things. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not
4: asking names, yeah. and we, it is 20 years later, so we, yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're cool uh, with we're that. Cool. Actually, I think everyone's cool with it. I thought
7: yeah. the fans were really upset mm. about it. Right. Oh. I thought the fans oh. were. Okay, dressing room. Um, in the dressing room, I guess most people just focused on your career and didn't really care that much about mm. the title belt and the trash.
4: Yeah,
7: because they understood
4: the I think business? That,
7: mm-hmm. I think so. I think that i mean at least the people i talked to in the locker room were like hey the business has ups and downs and crazy things happen Mm -hmm. and so So the fans were buying into it being
4: well that's good that means i did my job i'm going to answer that with my fans i did my job the whole thing with that was i basically was let go from wwe again it goes back to a conversation we had about not having Women criteria, sure. whatever to wrestle, Absolutely. and and and, and Vince, it's harder than people know. Vince, Vince not, and Vince going through some adversities and that he was at the time, from the IRS scandals to the yeah. whole steroid yes. scandals yes. and all that. His Tough company time. was crumbling, he didn't know what he was going to do. Yeah, totally, his mind is so. If I was business in him at the time, I probably would have done the same damn thing. Meaning, what do we need to do? Downsize. We need to get rid of anything and anything because I got focus on this, my money's deplete, whatever. I don't know, that's speculation, whatever, but what I would do. So they got rid of the women's division, and I was let go. Not in a bad way, it was just, you know, had a, here you go, here's the letter, we need, we're doing some changes. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn shit, fire. okay. So um, in a matter of whatever, 24 hours of, you know, how this uh, gets out. And um, there's some other things that happen in between, and, and that's when I got the phone call. I heard you were like, go. is it true? Yeah, I, I was like, go. Oh, what's up? Uh, well, uh, well, um, you still got that title? So um, I said, yeah. He goes, well, how would you be interested in bringing that on Monday night nitro? And um, let's talk about a contract. And I'm like, wow, less than 24 hours doing whatever, and I'm already, my contract's good. Back then, they didn't have that whole six months. Class where you mm-hmm. could wrestle somewhere else or whatever, so right, I was good yeah. to go. Good to go. I was like, damn, I have to put food on the table. I was the breadwinner. I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, jumped ship. Well, I was already let go, so I wasn't doing anything no. wrong.
7: Nothing at all. And
4: um, I was doing what any male or female would have done in the business at that time when you had to survive. Yeah. Because I wasn't about doing anything, you know, unethical, more, you know, mm-hmm. anything. So oh. I said I did. I went over there. I brought the belt, not knowing what was gonna happen, and then he came in, he talked to me, he said, deuce, where's that belt? And I said, I got it, but man, it's, I gotta give it back. You know, I, I, well, how about you throw in that title in the trash tonight live on TV? And I said, just so I get it back, I need to give it to Vince. Yeah. And I was yeah. always thinking, I wasn't thinking like I was gonna make this, all the shit that happened. I truthfully never thought it would blow up the way it did. And I was I was kind of hurt that I you know was one of the first to go because I worked so hard. Sure, I loved my job in wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, I can do that just so I give it back. It's probably no big deal, I'll just go in there and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, God, this would be a great angle. People are going to love it's it when I angle. do. It's a angle. God, people will probably yeah. talk about it. You know, that's and I swear to God, that's all I thought. Mm-hmm. 21 years later, it is like the most talked about thing and I just, I just like,
7: damn.
4: What the hell happened?
7: Well, I don't understand that, you I just, know, I I think, why? That, I think that... But it was the
4: start. I started the freaking Monday Night Wars because of that. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know and what And that else? was the best thing, though.
1: So there you have it. Uh, Dave, do you agree with uh, Medusa's assessment that this incident, that, that unintentionally that she started the Monday Night Wars?
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but now when I think of it and kind of hear people talk about it, that whole incident, that was the WWF's fault, you know, Mm -hmm. because they allowed this person to leave with a championship. Uh, And clearly they so devalued that championship. They didn't even care to even uh, make sure that she didn't have it when she's going over to this other promotion that they realized she was talking to them anyway. So, uh it's another sort of thing with Eric Bischoff where he, he he sees an opportunity that WWF has presented him right and he takes advantage of it and and he's shown he's done that before he'll do it again he'll do it whenever he can and uh yeah it's a very it, it's a very iconic moment in Nitro history and for the fact like if they if WWF did not if they like got the bell from her beforehand, mm-hmm. Would we remember Medusa's debut with WCW? Right, right. (laughs) Well,
1: and what's amazing, and you, I, I believe accurately, you say that this is WWE's fault, and I completely agree because this is, you know, context-wise, this is coming what three months after Lex Luger debuted when they all thought he was working for the company. Right. If that wasn't a sign that they needed to, you know, tighten the ship on this kind of shit, Uh I don't know what you know. I don't know what more could have hit them on the nose and said you've got to take this kind of thing seriously. Yeah. Um. So it's pretty incredible, and you know it—it it really formulates a lot of uh, Vince's beliefs going forward. You know, it certainly has a huge effect on the Montreal Screwjob and his attitude going into that. Sure. Um. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, is—is is the women's belt coming and being tossed in the trash in and of itself a huge deal? Probably not, but it certainly had ripples that were were felt throughout
2: the wrestling world. Yeah, and from what it sounds like, with um. Medusa, I'm right, forgetting Medusa's real name. Deborah Maselli. <laughs> With Deborah Maselli, you could, I mean, you could tell that she is tired of this one incident being the only thing people ask her about. Yeah, but it's just if you just take it into the context of i of just uh, iconic moments in the on in the Monday Night Wars, in which it's the two reacting directly to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right up there with um, like when, when DX try to invade nitro, right. Or, or given re- results away. Yeah. I think
1: of Shivani um, and uh, you know, this is a spoiler for a couple of years from now, but Shivani revealing that mankind wins the WWF title yes. on raw, mm-hmm. you know, it's up there with those Scott Hall showing up on nitro. Yeah. It's, this is absolutely one of the turning points of the entire thing.
2: Yeah. And in a, and it's starting to show I mean, like you said before, with the whole Lex Luger situation, you, you think that WWF would realize they have to take seriously the repercussions mm-hmm. of, of someone going over to the other side. And clearly they haven't understood that yet. Um so it kinda we kinda have to wait and see from this if they if they learn like we can't just let people go over there and expect them to, you know, play nice, basically. So I wanna
1: read a. a this is a quote from Bischoff's book about this incident. Okay. okay. Uh, Medusa had just won the championship for Bertha Faye. She was pretty reluctant to do it, quite frankly. I talked her into it. I'm sure to this day she wishes, she wishes I hadn't because it made it very difficult for her to go back to WWE later on. But given the opportunity, I took every advantage and ended up with a big old smile on my face. It was just another one of those in-your-face, fuck-you WWE moves that I liked. <laughs> it spoke to the attitude and aggression that I wanted our brand to have. If I'd thought about it a little more, I probably would have had put the title on a fat little midget and called it the other championship, but I didn't think about that at the time.
2: <laughs> I I believe every word that Eric Bischoff wrote there. Oh god, absolutely. He's uh, an unrepentant bastard. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, and he's he's a sort of guy where if a reporter was trying to try to get that uh um that soundbite of like I would have done things differently. Right. He doesn't think that, and he doesn't say that either. Right. <laughs> uh, even even if it's uh if it's something where he feel where people might look later on and say it's not like good business etiquette. Right. He doesn't really care as long as it like worked for him at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. So when he says the part about putting the belt on the midget, I one hundred percent believe he would have done that if he had a little bit more time to think about it. <laughs> uh. So
1: to kind of wrap up our thoughts on that, I'm wondering what your perspective is on. Do you feel that this was, um, uh, from Medusa's perspective specifically, was this disrespectful to the women that before her had held the title, or was it just a, a piece of entertainment, which is kind of how she went into it, uh, viewing it? What What are your thoughts?
2: I I don't I don't think so. Um, I didn't. I mean, I personally didn't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean when the WWE brought back the women's title later on, I didn't feel like it was devalued due to it being in a trash can for a (laughs) while. (laughs) Right. Um, And, and, you know, to not give, try not to give Vince Russo too much credit, but he's mentioned before how a title is merely a prop Mm -hmm. and it adds to the entertainment. And the fact that that's so memorable. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that incident, is one of the reasons why we remember that that title was even active at the time. Right. You know, so I really, no, I, I don't have any problem with it. I thought it was really good. And like I said before, you know, if they didn't have this title in the trash incident, we would have never remember the debut of Medusa.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. Um, and with Medusa, I, it was a piece of entertainment. Um, as Molly Holly says, the locker room, was not upset the locker room wasn't talking about disrespect it was really Mm um more the fans although there are people you know we heard booker t in there talk about that he thought it was disrespectful uh kevin sullivan acts uh, at least he says on his podcast that he was personally appalled by it at the time um but you know it is what it is i i don't blame her i don't really Mm -hmm. see any problems with it um she did what she was asked to do. It's a character. It's a prop. It. It's not a big deal. Yeah,
2: and and what you're saying about Booker T, because I, I like to remind the people listening that we are getting these episodes from WWE Network. Right. And as a result, we there's going to be parts from the Monday Night Wars, which is very slanted in favor of the WWE. So, And I feel like Booker T's kind of a guy that c- toes the company line. Right. Because there's that point when Vince said, That he thought it was like tawdry, right? And which is ridiculous. It's such a hypocritical thing for him to say. No, I mean just to to even start listening to things that Vince has done that's tawdry (laughs) would that's a whole podcast, right? Um, but I mean other than those two, I mean, it's it's silly. It it's twenty years later. It's like one incident thing that was like it made the Monday Night Wars more interesting, right? And and more interest means more business for everyone. So how can you hate it?
1: Absolutely. Cause people are going to want to tune into raw and see how are you going to respond to that? Exactly. You know, that's a certainly a piece of the equation.
2: Yeah. And I, plus like they mentioned the the name WWF like five or six times during that period. Right. Absolutely.
1: So, All right. Well, moving on from that uh, incident, Mongo immediately starts ranting about how he's got a friend who is going to help prevent this kind of chaos from happening throughout the show. Um, well, he's talking. Bischoff pulls the belt out of the trash and kind of smugly displays it towards the camera. because <laughs> yes. He's such a little cock.
2: Yeah, I, for- <laughs> I forgot that part. I forgot that like he did this little like, but then he just kind of like discards it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just did, just make sure uh... that like y- you know that he wanted to do <laughs> right. that too. Uh, so
1: out comes Mongo's friend and its former WrestleMania competitor and Super Bowl champion, William the Refrigerator Perry. (laughs) He played with Mongo on the Chicago Bears, including winning the Super Bowl in 1985. Uh, Mongo asks, uh, Perry to stop any wrestlers from invading the booth while Bobby acts like the Fridge's handshake is like literally breaking his hand. Yeah. He sells the shit out of it. Yeah,
2: and it's really funny because you can kind of tell that, 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 William Perry wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of, he has this look like, is this funny or am I actually hurting? I don't get what's going on. And he doesn't
1: say a word. It's, (laughs) it's a wordless cameo. (laughs) Flair's music hits and we go down to the ring. Uh, Rick Flair is going to be taking on Eddie Guerrero. So uh, the announcers don't mention it at all, but presumably uh, Eddie beating Pillman in that match a few weeks ago when he was supposed to take on Flair uh-huh. has maybe earned him this match?
2: Yeah, we think so, because Re- Re- that's kind of what Riff Flair said that previous Nitro, that like he hasn't earned the earned his stripes or something like that.
1: But, but once again, the announcers are failing to fill it. Like, we're left to do the story for them. Right. You know?
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, Eddie Guerrero does get the jobber entrance, too, when he is already in the ring.
1: Right. Uh... Also, speaking of unfortunate, Mongo says that Pepe is dressed up as a bandito because that Mexican bandito Eddie Guerrero might steal Ric Flair's head.
2: (laughs) Okay, that's a concern.
1: (laughs) I also kind of uh, think Eddie Guerrero with his, his long mullet, but his complete lack of sideburns. It reminds me of uh, Don Mattingly on The Simpsons. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like, where he's just aggressively has no sideburns. Yeah. (laughs) Flair uh, plays the crowd who fucking love him because they are in Georgia. Yeah. They are absolutely nuts for Flair. He struts and woos. uh, And I was actually surprised at how much bigger he is than Eddie. Because you don't think of Flair as a huge guy. Mm -hmm. But he he really kind of hulked over Eddie, I thought, a little bit. It was surprising. Yeah. They lock up to start, and Flair gets a side headlock takedown, uh, but after trading some reversals, they both end up on their feet. And that kind of starts the pattern of the match. It, it really starts off with Flair constantly trying to ground Eddie, and Eddie countering and popping up to his feet like, ha-ha, I'm standing!
2: <laughs> and at this point, we're also told by Eric Bischoff that next week, uh, Ric Flair is going to be getting a shot at the World Championship. Right. Um And so... This is the instance in which like the two nitros leading up to the Starcade pay-per-view were already being given world title matches. Which yeah. which uh, you know, it's is great for nitro, but not good for selling a s Starcade.
1: Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh you heard back at the audio clip of the intro with Bischoff hyping the show that tonight the giant will be taking on on uh Andre. That would be a match. <laughs> wow. No, the Giant will be taking on Randy Savage for the championship later tonight. But not before Rick Flair hits a drop toe hold on Eddie, uh, who quickly gets to his feet again. Flair exposes his back to Eddie uh to woo and strut for the crowd, and Eddie drop kicks him uh for such showboating behavior. And then <laughs> he hits a drop toe hold of his own and gives Flair some sort of like a kind of a noogie, like to taunt him. Yeah. He lets Flair back up, but then levels him with a punch to the jaw, and then Eddie lets out his own woo and then he struts. And Ric Flair's face is priceless. He acts <laughs> like this is such a grave insult that someone's doing his signature bits.
2: And and I did notice that that got a negative reaction from the crowd as well. Right. They were not fans of taunting Ric Flair. So I don't know if this is one of those cases where they did booking without really thinking about where they are.
1: Right. Not only is it Flair country, it's also racist country. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, at some point... Um, Because Bobby Heenan's talking about Ric Flair going for the title next week, Uh possibly winning for the 12th time. And he says, how many of you humanoids have ever done anything 11 times well? Yeah, that's a great line. Which is, I believe, I feel like a lot of times when he talks about Ric Flair, he makes those sort of comments. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's it's like a a Heenanism. It's a great Heenanism. Yes, Um,
1: absolutely. He's, He's great at hating Hogan and he's great at loving Flair. Yeah.
2: And also just doing the natural thing of hyping up a, a future match, too. Yes. Which the, the other two are kind of not very good at.
1: Flair rolls to the outside and takes a lap to regroup while Bobby does a fantastic job of putting over Eddie. Uh, he he spends a lot of time, and he's constantly a champion of Eddie Guerrero on the show. Uh-huh. Um, you know, back before World War Three, he he mentioned, you know, going into that battle royal that Eddie Guerrero could be the next world champion. He is always doing the legwork of getting Guerrero over, and I, and I really... Uh, hats off to you, Bobby.
2: Yeah, and because he, he has a like a shtick where he talks about being in the airport and everyone coming up to him, like asking him about Eddie Guerrero. That's right. Yep. Um, I just remember because that's kind of when he gets to talk about Guerrero. It's always the random people in the airport like needing that information because right. he's he's a broadcast journalist, so he he has the inside scoop. <laughs> Flair gains brief control with a kick
1: to the gut and some chops, but Eddie flips over an atomic drop attempt and hits a couple drop kicks. Flair hangs onto the rope, uh, causing Eddie to miss a third drop kick. And Flair looks to lock in the figure four, but Eddie counters it into a small package for a two count. Flair blocks a hip toss, so Eddie hooks the other arm and then gets a backslide for another two count.
2: Oh yeah, nobody sells being given the backslide <laughs> like the Nature Boy Ric Flair. I I just. I had to mention it, you know, as soon as I saw it, he's, he's looking like he's about to be like his head being pushed (laughs) underwater. He's a champ. His facial
1: expressions are amazing just constantly.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, it's just, you go back to 95, you go back to these nitros, you just realize it's like, oh, that's right. Ric Flair was just like, he, even cause he was in his mid forties, right? He was on his game every single week. Absolutely.
1: A confident Eddie runs his hands through his hair and woos again. Flair nails a big boot in the corner and then drops a knee on Eddie's face. He backs Eddie into the corner and they trade blows with Flair chopping and Eddie punching. Uh, Punches beat chops and Eddie soon Irish whips Flair, or excuse me, Eddie soon whips Flair off the ropes and hits a back body drop as Bischoff uh, references a Mike Tyson fight from the night before saying that the only difference in this fight is that the punches are actually connecting. Yeah. Uh, I I actually looked this up, and Tyson uh, the previous night had spent most of three rounds of his bout against Buster Mathis Jr. Uh, being completely dominated before suddenly ending the fight out of nowhere uh, with a combination and a vicious right jab that kind of sealed the deal. I actually mm. watched the fight on YouTube because
2: it was like three minutes long. <laughs> um, did it did it look a little bit? Did it look sketchy? It bad? didn't.
1: I think he was just saying that Tyson was trying to punch for three rounds but getting his ass beat so bad. Because uh-huh. um, he actually says like. Bischoff says something like in this fight, the punches are actually connecting. And then he says, well, uh, except for that one at the end of the fight, like mentioning <laughs> that Tyson clearly did punch the dude really hard <laughs> in the face.
2: Like, like he was worried that maybe Mike Tyson would hear what he was saying. <laughs> you have to correct yourself.
1: Eddie gets a tornado DDT for a two count. He then walks up the ropes and hits a hurricanrana for another two. Eddie heads to the top rope and a barely conscious flare knocks against the ropes sending Eddie crashing to the outside where he clutches his knee. Flair, sensing weakness, beats the crap out of Eddie against the guardrail in front of a little family that is, like, over the moon with happiness that a man <laughs> is getting beaten mercilessly in front of yeah.
2: him. Uh, a couple points here. First, uh, Eddie Guerrero falls off the top rope when Ric Flair hits the middle rope. Yep. Uh, and also, when Guerrero's down, the camera comes up to him. You could hear him go, Oh! Oh, my knee! <laughs>
1: It's just... Now that's selling. <laughs> uh, back in the ring, Flair attacks the knee with a few more kicks uh, before locking in the figure four. Eddie valiantly tries to hang on, but eventually the pain is too much, and he passes out with his shoulders on the mat. And Randy Anderson counts the one, two, three.
2: I thought that was a really good finish too. It, it, it was...
1: was. I wish that they'd let Eddie hang on longer because we see guys mm-hmm. last a lot longer than that in the figure four. But I do think it's a good ending. It doesn't really weaken Guerrero. He, you know, freak accident hurt his knee, and Flair's got a finisher that targets the knee. Yeah. Pass out from the pain. That's, you know, nobody can blame him for that.
2: And also, Flair was using the ropes, too, which gave him, like, further leverage for that. So, uh, no, I thought this was a a really good match, and uh, also that Ric Flair did a really good job of selling for a guy whose style he's just not used to facing. Um, like you said, with the Tornado DUT and the Huracranas and stuff like that, an older wrestler could very easily just be completely out of his element. Right. But, but Ric Flair was like, he was game for it.
1: Arn uh, joins Flair in the ring, and unfortunately, Eddie becomes an immediate afterthought. Yeah. Uh, because Gene Okerlund follows Arn into the ring and tries to interview uh, Arn and Flair. And at first, they're too busy just casually kicking eddie out of the ring <laughs> uh Okerlund threatens to end the interview if they don't stop kicking him which seems like really weak punishment like what the hell do they care like <laughs> right. great i don't have to answer your goddamn questions <laughs> who
2: who gives a shit or, or rick flair is probably like no you want to interview the nature boy don't these threats don't mean anything
1: <laughs> uh so let's now go to the audio clip of that flair and arn promo
5: Thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. I'm with uh, two of the four horsemen. Hard Anderson, hey, knock it off. Ric Flair, I'll cut this interview down right now. You either just can get him off that kick.
3: I guess what you're trying to say is we're on a roll. This week is Guerrero. Last Saturday night, it was Johnny B. Bat, and last week it was Paul Orndorff. Well, let me preface this situation by saying, Paul Orndorff, I respect you as being a hell of a man and a hell of a wrestler. But understand one thing, the law of physics says this. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. And you felt how the horsemen react to situations. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we got two ground rules as a horseman. You don't put personal achievement ahead of the success of the group. And number two, you jump on one of us, you jump on all of us. Rick Blair, I guess what happened is. I'm showing the enforcer. Yeah,
8: well, what is it, man? Wait a minute. I've respected both you guys for a long time. You, as the enforcer, for the most elite group of wrestlers of all times, and you for probably being the greatest champion of all times. Wait a minute.
5: There's our television you cameras. you a
8: loose cannon on your ship. When Brian Pillman, and I don't care about Paul Orndorff, that matters nothing to me. But when Brian Pillman knocks the Dungeon of Doom, he's knocking every member of my team, and I hold that dear. So, you being the enforcer, let me tell you something. You better keep Pillman on a short leash, or I'll come looking for him.
5: What, what, what about what about that?
6: Right, hey, man, you, me,
3: Jimmy Hart. Double A, we're brothers of the bond. No problem, man. No, there's a problem. Let me hammer this nail. Whoa, whoa, wait a
1: wait you come a looking
3: for Pillman with a dungeon of doom, you just might find Flair and Anderson. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you something. It's
8: real clear. If you don't keep them on a short leash, this is WCW, and there ain't no allegiance anywhere.
6: You heard what the enforcer said,
3: brother.
5: All right, gentlemen, I I don't know how to sort all of this out. We take a look at what the What it is!
3: Is the horsemen are reunited, and it feels
5: so good! Woo! Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Is there a little
8: uh, unrest amongst the troops?
1: So as you heard, they give a little promo just talking about how great the four horsemen are, but then they're interrupted by Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster himself, Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's a little pissed off at, uh, not so much at Flair and Arn, uh, but at... That other horseman, not Chris Benoit, who is still in Japan, I guess. <laughs> right. But Brian Pillman, who, uh-huh. uh, as we recall, in his little promo uh, last week, did uh, kind of imitations of every member of the Dungeon of Doom, and they were not flattering imitations. Right. Uh, so Sullivan, uh, he wants... I don't know what he wants. He wants to be able to fight Pillman, or he wants them to keep a better eye on him?
2: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and from that the previous... Um promo with brian pillman that was one where he was insinuating that the dungeon of doom wanted to be with the horsemen but they weren't horseman material so uh kind of running him down right yeah and and i just think it was it was funny because this the taskmaster basically was talking to Arn the whole time because i it just flair did not seem like he cared (laughs) about this and there there was just a couple funny moments when when flair was clearly turning his back to the camera um, yeah, that, they did the same shitty
1: blocking they always do where someone blocks someone else right in front of the camera. Except for this time, Okerlund actually said, our yeah. television cameras are over there. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just I liked it that he, someone eventually had to tell Gene, it's like, it's up to you to get this blocking <laughs> right. Because he points it out, Claire yeah. turns, but then he kind of goes back again.
1: Yeah. Um, it also makes the fact that the horsemen are just like, fuck off makes, once again, the Dungeon of Doom look like such a bunch of little pussies. (laughs) They, every single one of them but the giant, just gets shoved around. They're just treated like garbage by the faces and now by the other heels. (laughs) They're truly, like, the least popular kids in the playground at this point. (laughs) Bischoff runs down recent events, and uh, I noticed that while he was just kind of talking that Heenan is sort of flexing his fingers on his right hand and sort of massaging like he's got an injury, but it's all a ruse so that he can flick off the camera again.
2: Well, I missed it. Yeah. No, oh. that's, he's back in action. I, I I expect that at the beginning. He, yeah, no, he's varying po- it up. Well, now I got to go back and watch.
1: <laughs> they talk about the idea of allegiances, and Bobby says that in life you shouldn't have allegiance to anyone. Mongo says that that's why Bobby has no friends and no family uh, before immediately... Uh, undercutting his own point by ending that sentence by calling Bobby my friend, <laughs> he's like, "You don't have any friends, my friend." <laughs> <laughs> you fucking moron. That's awesome. Eric talks some more, but he is uh, soon interrupted by Sergeant Craig Pickman, who is a goddamn fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. He's like weirder when he's talking and stalking around than yeah. when he's wrestling. He's got these big uh, eyes, uh, just a weird voice, and he he comes up and he grabs a, a microphone. And then immediately starts talking without the microphone. Like, he raises it to his mouth and then lowers it and starts talking. Yeah. And Bischoff has to yell at him to use the mic. Uh, we're actually going to play an audio clip of that moment because I think it's hilarious. But I wanted to point out before we do that wasn't uh, Refrigerator Perry's only job to stop people from invading the booth?
2: <laughs> Refrigerator Perry, you had one job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two
1: segments later and the someone's very, invading the announcer The very
2: booth. first try. Unless... unless when they're not looking at the booth he's been pushing guys away the whole time i
1: would have loved if the after the segment the camera had panned over and he was lying on the floor in a puddle of blood (laughs) but anyway with that in mind let's go to the audio clip all right well we're gonna try
0: to find out where friendship stops and professionalism begins because of course we've got that triangle match coming up at Starcade, only on pay-per-view you've got Lex Luger, you've got the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and of course you've got Sting, three top athletes in this sport today, all vying for one thing, a shot at the world title. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Pitbull Pitman, no, now what?
6: I'm sorry. Well, good day, gentlemen. I'm
0: sorry to interrupt,
6: but I wanna talk to you.
0: Oh, 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 wait a minute, let me hold this for you. If you've got something to say, let's make sure everybody can hear it.
6: I've been doing a lot of sneaking and peeking, and come to find out, You were one of the best managers of all time. I would like to ask you to manage the pit bull to the world title. And what do you have to say?
0: How about it, Bobby? You want me to manage you?
6: That's affirmative.
0: Well, sir, I I don't manage anymore. I'm a broadcast journalist. But I will put you onto somebody that can handle your situation. Maybe a Mr. Jimmy Hart, maybe somebody with intelligence that can handle your finances and handle everything. I'd be more than glad to help you, but at this particular time in my life, I'm 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 busy doing this. But it would be an honor to manage you, but I'll do the best I can to help you. I you know if I
6: don't get help <laughs> soon, <laughs> I'm not gonna take any prisoners.
0: Don't don't look at me when you say that. Got nothing to do with this. The pit bull. Looking for a manager. Coming up
1: next. (laughs) So what do you make of uh, Craig Pittman begging Bobby to be his manager? You're
2: right. He's such a weirdo.
1: It's really off-putting, his whole demeanor. Yeah,
2: it's just, uh, you know, I mean, do you you have, I mean, I'm sure because we have similar friends, but you have like those friends where when you're talking to them that maybe they just, are just like so off putting you just want to end the conversation right away. Or maybe not front, just like maybe like a coworker or something like that. Sure,
1: co-worker, yes, I can a think co- of a, a few. A co-worker, yeah.
2: And that's kind of what he reminds me of. It's a, and like Bobby Heenan, you almost got like that vibe from him. Right. Where he's like he's like, No, no, I can I can help you. Yeah. I just it just I don't want to me.
1: associate with you personally, but right. if I
2: can pawn you off on someone
1: else, yeah, and make sure that you don't come shoot me when your inevitable shooting spree happens. <laughs> right. I... <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that was such a weird segment. <laughs> we go to a commercial, and when we come back, Lex Luger comes out with Jimmy Hart as uh, his opponent, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, has got the jobber entrance now.
2: Yeah, and not only that, they took away his middle name, too. I've noticed that... Yeah, his, co- his
1: little promo, ju- or uh, graphic, that's yeah. what I'm trying to think of, just says Marcus Bagwell. Because,
2: which which helps for when, it's, when you're typing up the name, because Marcus <laughs>
1: Alexander Bagwell is kind of a lot. Luger overpowers Bagwell with a hip toss. Uh, Bischoff starts to say that Bagwell is one of the few athletes who can compete with Luger, before kind of noticing that Luger is dominating the match so far. And he goes uh, in the gym, but of course, this is not the
2: gym. Yeah. Uh, I, I after the hip toss, I really liked. We got kind of a Luger moment where he he turns and tries to hype up the crowd, yeah. and then I, to his benefit, yeah. remembered immediately that he's a heel, right? So went over and gave. Jimmy Hart, a high five.
1: <laughs> We've got another amazing moment afterward that I, I, I rewound this and laughed at it like a dozen times. Bagwell hits a monkey flip on Luger uh-huh. and Jimmy Hart just yells through his megaphone, monkey flip. <laughs> like, is he telling Lex what move is happening to him right now? Because like, I guess you could say that he's trying to warn him, but it, it happens like during the move. There's nothing that can be done about it that time. I w- <laughs> he's just yelling what's happening to his client, I guess. Bagwell hits a drop kick and an arm drag, and Luger heads to the outside to regroup. Bagwell nails a drop kick, and Luger falls against the guardrail, causing a small child to scream in abject terror. (laughs) It's like the exact opposite reaction of that family that loved watching Guerrero get hurt. They are terrified of of Luger being that close to them. Luger circles the ring in anger before climbing back in. They lock up, and Luger hits a knee to the gut and starts beating up Bagwell uh, with all sorts of shitty Lex Luger offense. (laughs) <laughs> right Scotty Riggs uh, Bagwell's tag team partner who is at ringside tries and fails to lead the cloud and s- crowd in some clapping mm-hmm. like he's banging on the mat and in rhythm and no one picks up the clap
2: also Scotty Riggs seemed to show up out of nowhere like during the match
1: yeah they don't announce him at the beginning or uh-huh. at least uh, you can barely hear the ring announcer on WCW most of the time so I maybe they did and I don't know yeah but yeah you're absolutely right when he was there I was like oh that makes sense but it's weird that I didn't see him before right now right. Bagwell hits some punches, a body drop, a back body drop, and a couple clotheslines. Uh, with Luger on the ground, he goes for a splash, but Luger gets the knees up. Luger then nails a scoop slam, locks on the torture rack, and it's kind of an Odenora victory. Yeah, uh, he just gets like three moves of offense and and gets his finisher, and that's it, I guess.
2: Yeah, you can you can tell by the announcers' reaction too that they weren't they weren't like ready for that to end. And when I was watching it, I was I I think I was kind of eighty percent watching a little bit nod and i just realized that the match ended
1: (laughs) mean gene grabs jimmy and lex on their way back to the locker room jimmy hart puts over lex as the uncrowned world champion lex says that he's restless with anticipation and i'm like wow that's that sounds pretty smart that was a nice little sentence you strung together there lex you know he's college educated but this goodwill is immediately squandered when he ends the promo saying and i quote uh he's addressing macho man well, you won't get away this time because this time I'm going to take it from you and be the champion that every day I wake up in the mirror that I am and will become.
2: Yeah. What? Yeah, I, uh, m- the the wording I got was a little bit different. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. Um, Because he says it so fast and it doesn't make any sense. I rewound it several times. So did I. So let's compare I got, notes. I want to hear got, your version. This time, I'm going to take it from you and be the champion, and every day, I'll wake up in the morning and look at it in the mirror that I am and will become.
1: <laughs> I actually like yours a little better. <laughs> I, I'm not a linguist, but I'm pretty sure the way that he phrased or at least in my version, because what I heard is, I wake up and look in the mirror that I am and will become. I think he's saying that he is and will become a mirror. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> it was- uh we get uh going into commercial we get a promo fight image uh that coming up next is going to be sting versus earl robert eaton uh we get a commercial and a promo for saturday night but sadly saturday night doesn't look to have anything hilarious on it this week no no hacks on jim duggan goes to ireland
2: (laughs) right (laughs) i'm I'm still trying to find I'm still trying to find that particular one that because that's the one also the disco Inferno debuted his right. music video yep yep oh God that's one for the 80s. yeah
1: there's if hey if any of you out there are members of like any private invite only wrestling torrent sites because I know there are some mm-hmm. uh, please send an email to 20 years of nitro at gmail.com because I gotta get me some Saturday nights. I'm dying <laughs> Robert Eaton comes out uh, after the commercial along with Jeeves, his gentleman's gentleman. The former beautiful Bobby Eaton is a veteran tag team wrestler who debuted in uh, 1976. A long-time tag specialist, he found his best biggest success as part of the Midnight Express, alongside his partner Dennis Condry. Managed by Jim Cornette, they would famously feud with the Rock and Roll Express off and on uh, over, like, decades, basically. Oh, yeah. Across multiple promotions, including Mid-South Wrestling, World Class Championship Wrestling, and Jim Crockett Promotions. After years in WCW, both in and out of tech teams, uh, Eaton was eventually released by Bill Watts, uh, and he went and spent time in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, only to be rehired by Eric Bischoff once he ascended to power. A series of vignettes uh, showed Lord Steven Regal teaching Eaton how to be a proper English gentleman, uh, despite the fact that he's from, like, Alabama. (laughs) He's
2: from Huntsville, Alabama.
1: (laughs) Um before he was eventually knighted by a fake queen on an episode of WCW Main Event. Oh, nice. Thereafter, the two would appear together as a tag team known as the Blue Bloods. Uh, Bischoff makes fun of the name Jeeves as they come out, saying that it sounds like a skin condition. (laughs) I don't know what that like, I've got Jeeves? That doesn't really sound like a skin condition to me. Bad case of Jeeves. (laughs) Out comes Sting. Uh, He nearly trips on something in the entranceway. And then looks at the camera and goes, Watch your step. Watch your step. <laughs> and for some reason, Sting is always at his most charismatic when he comes out during his entrance. Because yeah. he's just goofy as shit every yeah. single time. It's it's really what I like Sting the most is when he comes out and he's just being a goofball.
2: Yeah, I I could I could live off of like a whole video of just him coming out. <laughs> Twenty
1: years of Nitro Universe, make that happen. Yes. Get a montage going. <laughs> Stinger with an arm drag to start the match. Uh, they then have a close up on his face. Well, he appears to be squinting to try to read a sign in the crowd
2: or something. I don't know. Uh, I I kind of have an idea what this is because uh, Lord Stephen Regal. One of the things he liked to do was to flex his very unmuscular looking arm. Yeah. Um, and he would do he would do where he
1: would Earl. You mean Earl Robert Eaton? Well, or was uh, or was eaten doing Regal's bit.
2: That's what my guess was. Oh, okay. That he's trying to flex and he'll he's trying to peer to see where the muscle is. Okay, that okay. was that was my guess because I'm like, why is he squinting? This is the most reasonable answer I <laughs> can find.
1: Eaton works a side headlock for a bit, but Sting eventually powers out and gets eaten down. Uh, he then Eaton then begs off. The crowd. I thought at first they were doing the wave, but I think they're actually bowing to Sting. Like, we're we're not worthy, Wayne Campbell kind of bowing. Uh-huh. Eaton then works uh, Sting over with some punches and an arm bar. At one point, uh, Mongo claims that Eaton is mad that the announcers have stopped calling the match and is taking it out on Sting, which is actually a fairly reasonable explanation, except for he's fighting Sting and should be taking out everything on Sting regardless.
2: Yeah, and how would he know that they're not talking about <laughs> it?
1: <laughs> I do like, though, that he's... That Mongo of all people is calling attention to the fact that they are failing to call the action <laughs> right. in front of them. Eaton heads to the top rope for a splash, but Sting moves and Eaton uh, takes. He misses the splash, but he takes the bump completely on his knees. It oh. looked, looked kind of painful. Yeah. Sting hits some chops in a Stinger splash, locks on the Scorpion Deathlock, and he uh, taps out Eaton quickly. That was a very, very quick victory.
2: Yeah, I, I just made a note that Eaton. Uh, Actually, did like the tap out on the mat, which you don't see very often at that time. That's very true.
1: Uh, so that means that already in Nitro, all three members of the upcoming triangle match at Starcade uh, have picked up victories. So they are all looking strong. Although it is notable uh, that Flair looked the weakest in his victory. You know, he he sold most of the time, whereas Sting and Luger kind of were more dominant.
2: Yeah, but Flair had a lot better competition.
1: Well, and it makes, you know, it fits Flair's style better, too. Yeah, true. Gene is in the ring with Sting. Uh, Gene, like, he just bitches about not being home with his friends during <laughs> yeah, the holiday does. season. He did. He just did. openly complains about he's it. He's
2: like, you know, I'd rather be sucking down eggnog next to the fireplace at this time of the year rather than conducting business. He yeah. Was, he's like, he, he's, but he's like, anyway, you know, everyone hates their
1: job, so I. Anyway. <laughs> He Sting about the triangle match and uh, let's hear what Sting has to say about that triangle match.
5: All right, Eric Fishoff. this is a very difficult time of the year for me to be talking about uh, some business that is being conducted at World Championship Wrestling. I like to think of maybe a uh, uh, horse and dot, a couple of eggnogs at this time of the year with some friends around a, a warm fire. But Sting, you and I have got to discuss what's coming up a mere nine days from now. At Starcade, the granddaddy of them all, in Nashville, Tennessee, the Triangle Match. Of course, you're gonna be involved in the team competition, but the Triangle Match hits you against Ric Flair and Lex Luthor.
3: Well, I think the entire world knows exactly what I think about the nature boy Ric Flair. I will not forget what you did to those little kids out there, no I won't. Not even after two Scorpion Death Flocks, I will not forget. That goes without saying. But now, my best friend, the total package Lex Luger, I'm a little miffed, Mean Gene, with my best friend's comments on going through all the talent here at WCW as though the Stinger's not even here. He admitted your name. Oh, well, in passing, he admitted my name, okay? All I gotta say is, I've been world heavyweight champion on five different occasions, and I would love to make it six, BG, six times.
5: Thank you very much. Maybe Lex Luger and Sting can talk it all over, over an eggnog this holiday season. Eric, I don't know what you make of it. I'll tell you what I make
1: of it. Uh, Anything to say about that Sting promo? I kind of thought it was kind of flat, honestly. It wasn't, you know, I've, I've... said on the show that i wasn't a sting fan coming in but he's won me over a lot of times uh-huh. this i thought was a very flat promo
2: yeah i feel it feels like uh for all three competitors they are kind of just going over what they've said before mm-hmm. uh there's just not there isn't really a lot of enthusiasm behind i it. think
1: you know they're probably they're thinking what gene's saying they would it's december 18th they'd rather be home with their families that's, yeah. that's a legitimate comment
2: yeah know? Um, but sting mentions that he won't forgive Ric Flair for what he did to all those little kids. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't for the life of me, remember or know th- what he's talking. I about. think
1: he's talking about when Flair turned on him back at Halloween Havoc. I think he's saying you attacked me. I represent the stingers by turning on uh, me. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm, I think he's. Yeah. About.
2: But I mean, he just said it in such like a, a general way. I'm like, Did he do something to little kids? Did Ric Flair murder a bunch of kids and I forgot about it and he got away with it? Is that a thing? (laughs) And Flair's like, oh, you're going back (laughs) to that again.
1: (laughs) Next up, we're going to get Macho and the Giant in our main event uh, for the WCW World Championship. Uh, But not before a commercial, including a promo for Halloween Havoc on VHS. Yes.
2: Eric Bischoff thinks that the Monster Truck Challenge from Halloween Havoc was really cool. Oh, yeah. He's,
1: (laughs) oh, my God. (laughs) The Dungeon of Doom's music uh, plays and out comes the giant. Bobby says that the giant walks where no other man can walk. Straightforward. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think technically he says straightforward and then pauses and says to victory, but I still think that's a bizarre thing to say. (laughs) Right. The champ uh, comes out next and a child sign informs us that the macho man rules while the giant drools. Oh. They really got him. Terrific work. And given playing. that time where the Giant yelled into the camera like three or four weeks ago and a no, ton it's, it's, of spit hit the... I it's, was, it's, a, it's a fact. It's yeah, not it's a ton. Yeah, it's very accurate.
2: <laughs> He's just stating that the Giant drools a lot. <laughs> so
1: the beginning of this match uh, sees the powerful Giant keep trying to get Randy, but Randy is using his speed to avoid him. Uh, he keeps just kind of ducking around and then picking his spots to, to hit some punches um, and then eventually jumps on the Giant's back for a sleeper attempt. The Giant stumbles around for way too long yeah. before grabbing Macho by the head and flipping him over down to the mat. Uh, Jimmy Hart idiotically distracts the Giant, allowing Randy to nail him from from behind, (laughs) which then sends uh, Hart sprawling to the outside. Randy tries to slam the Giant for some reason. He has an injured arm, and he thinks, I'm going to body slam the Giant. It makes no sense.
2: Yeah, and the one thing I don't like when someone's obviously not going to body slam him, they get they, the way they wrap their arms around him, it yeah. makes it super obvious. He, like one arm like between the legs, but another one like around the waist. Right, like no position whatsoever to body slam someone.
1: Uh, Giant hits some clubbing blows to the Macho Man's back. He whips Randy to the corner and kicks him before uh slamming him down to the mat. Giant looks winded as hell three minutes into this match, <laughs> and uh you know a young Paul White was a drinker and a smoker. So it is not really shocking that yeah, right. uh, his cardio I mean he's in great shape, especially compared to you know him in five years, three years right okay. um, yep. but he, yeah he he's definitely winded very quick. Mm-hmm. although I guess I don't expect him to go jogging you know I don't know what kind of cardio I can expect someone to put on like those knees and stuff. <laughs> it's probably pretty limited. He calls for a choke slam uh, but then instead locks in a bear hug as we go to commercial and then immediately coming out of commercial, He hits a body slam and calls for the choke slam, the exact spot that he had just done. So I think what happened is he hit the body slam, called for the choke slam, remembered there was supposed to be a commercial break, (laughs) and locked on a rest hold. And then when he knew that they came back, he went back to the spot that was supposed to be following the commercial.
2: Yeah, I could buy that.
1: (laughs) Macho powers out of the choke slam attempt and claws the giant in the eyes or pulls his hair or something. It's like really unclear what he does. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan is now standing on the ring apron, and Macho goes for him, uh, but the Giant fails to understand that the reason that Sullivan did that was to distract Macho Man, because he's he's so green that he doesn't get that. (laughs) So he just kind of stands around while Macho Man acts distracted for a bit, and then Macho Man is like, okay, so he goes back and just starts punching the Giant, because he doesn't (laughs) know what else to do. Giant picks up Randy and hits a backbreaker for a two-count. The Giant picks Randy up by the throat and tosses him across the ring uh, like a rag doll. It's freakish how strong the guy is. Yeah, Savage rolls all the way out of the ring to the floor. Giant follows him to the outside where some rubes dressed up like Hogan in the front row just really give Giant the business. <laughs> They're dressed like Hulk. One's got a blonde mustache. Even, yeah. Um, and keep that in mind as uh, as we talk about next week's episode, but we'll get there when we get there. Yep. The giant effortlessly lifts Randy over his head and tosses him over the top rope and back into the ring. Uh, The
2: giant—that's I've always—I've always liked that. That's a really good spot that just like further emphasizes how big a person is.
1: Not just how big he is, but how strong he is. You know, because he—it's like he's tossing a a scarecrow. It's insane. Giant then goes to the top rope and tries to hit a splash on Randy, (laughs) but Randy moves, and thank God he moves. Because the Giant has no control over his body when he jumps. (laughs) He's just flailing. I mean, it's amazing seeing a guy that big try to hit a top rope splash. Yeah. But it looks terrifying for (laughs) all parties involved. Everyone is lucky to escape without injury. (laughs) Randy Savage goes to the top rope and hits a flying elbow. uh, But the Giant kicks out, throwing Randy several feet in the air. Uh, the, The announcers kind of compare different things that he threw Randy off like. With Bischoff offering... He just threw him off like a loaf of bread. <laughs> I guess you're commonly just throwing those around the house, Bischoff. Just
2: laying around with a loaf of bread on you.
1: They end up on the outside where Giant moves the protective mats and then tries to suplex Randy, but in kind of a cool spot, Randy grabs the ropes as he's like being suplexed past them, and he hangs onto them so the Giant is the only one who falls backwards onto the concrete.
2: Yeah, I I really like that, and that was a, a spot that could have easily just looked awful. Right, but. They it was like a hundred percent execution on it. It looked really good.
1: Both men get back in the ring where the giant hits a choke slam, uh, but he fails to go for the pin for some reason. Uh,
2: I, w- I was kind of getting the feeling that he was waiting for this person to show up.
1: Yeah. Um. It seems like he's running. He he runs out of moves pretty quick.
2: <laughs> right. Since. So he's Hogan, like choke slam. I know that one.
1: So, uh, Hogan shows up. Oh, like drop. <laughs> Yeah, he hits a leg drop and goes to the pin, but then Hulk Hogan hits him in the back with a chair before the ref can count. This is kind of bullshit because he really hasn't cheated that much. I mean, like people have got on the apron to try to interfere, but both times that happened, it ended up hurting the giant, not hurting Randy. Uh, he moved the protective mats. That's not an illegal move. That happens all the time. So I, you know, it's kind of bullshit that he's just going to legitimately cleanly win the belt but nope Hulk Hogan just shows up with a
2: chair yeah fuck you Hogan and he did that to Lex Luger too when Lex Luger was gonna win the title yep Hulk Hogan is like is the biggest heel face of all time
1: Randy Anderson tries to stop uh Hulk but he shoves Anderson down Hogan nails the giant with a chair again and then throws Nick Pat uh and then hits Nick Patrick who has come to restore order uh, so he hits Patrick with a chair as well the bell rings and it's now a DQ finish Hogan hits the Giant and the Taskmaster with some more chair shots. Mongo and refri- the Refrigerator Perry uh, show up at ringside and try to settle him down, but he like looks like he might hit them. Uh-huh. The announcers remind us that Hogan was already pro- uh, on probation from his previous incidents, yeah. hitting people with chairs and punching refs in the face. <laughs> so, yeah, Hulk Hogan's being a heel dick again. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Sullivan says on his podcast that the reason why like lex wasn't just beaten cleanly by macho and why uh the giant wasn't just beaten cleanly by macho man is that hogan wanted to protect heels that he might work with in the future so like wh- he <laughs> okay. you know he's as we'll talk about in a little bit he uh well we pretty much know he's not participating in starcade he hasn't been advertised for any matches yeah um so clearly he's, he's, for whatever reason, not going to be involved. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, but even when he's not involved, it seems like everything has to revolve around him. Mm-hmm. The face champion can't look too good. Right. None of the heels can lose cleanly. Like, nothing in the main event picture can really change that much because he's not involved with
2: it. Right, exactly.
1: The crowd uh, chants for Hogan. This is a legitimately very pro-Hogan crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they chant for him as he checks on Macho Man alongside the doctor as we go to commercial. Coming back from commercial, Okerlund is in the ring with Hogan and Macho Man. Macho is now up and walking around, barely selling uh, yeah. the, the match with the Giant, really. Right. And now uh, let's go to an audio clip of what happens next.
5: All right, we are going to try to make some sense of all of the carnage. I was back in the locker room area. This Giant... Uh, Really, you nailed him, you nailed part of the security people. Hulk Hogan, you may have bit off a little bit more than you can chew, because I personally think you risked the chance right here of being suspended.
6: Well, you know, there's a lot of people on probation, brother. Ric Flair gets a title match. The Giants gets a title match. What about Hulk Hogan? Like the Macho Man says, what it is is what it is.
0: The giant trying to make his oh, no. way, and he's the pit oh. bull, Kevin Hogan back, and Hogan. Hogan is absolutely losing his mind. He's out he's of it. He's out of it. I tried to get William and myself to get up there and stop this carnage. Yes, sir, but he might. I don't wanna see this man get suspended for life. This is a metal chair. The Giant is bleeding. Ooh, yeah. This is carnage. Hogan. Well, Hogan's lost it. No, he's, i
6: tell you what. He's I needed himself. his help tonight, but he sure as hell didn't need mine. And I've got one thing to say, brother. Macho man, get over here, brother. This by Hulk or by Crook. And it's gonna be by it's Crook. It's all going crazy in that WCW. And like I said before, brother, You're the heavyweight champion of the world. I'm sick of this probation stuff. My name, Hulk Hogan, is on that belt. The little maniacs have been training, saying their prayers, and eating their vitamins. And you, brother, owe me a title shot.
5: Wait a minute. Can I I ask a question? What made him go crazy?
6: Hulk Hogan went looney tunes, didn't he? Let me tell you something straight up. This is the bottom line, brother, about your title shot. First and foremost, I have to defend this world's title against Ric Flair next week on Nitro. And then... Whoa, 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 whoa. And I want to wish you all the luck in the world against Ric Flair, brother, because I know you, brother, better than anybody else. You and I have been around the block a few times, and I know you can beat Ric Flair. And then, if and when I do, because I'm a positive thinker, I have to get past Starcade. Sting, Luger, and the Nature Boy gunning for me. And I even got on Japanese superstar. So I need to clear that hurdle, too. But then, right after that,
0: oh, what's going on here? the
6: match, the whole world, Jupiter, Saturn, Venus. And anywhere else is waiting for Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man. You got it. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
5: whoa.
6: whoa. Wait a minute. Brother, after the Macho Man beats Ric Flair, after the Macho Man survives the triangle match, Hulkamaniacs, would you like to see me and the Macho Man get it on, brothers? Let me hear it. A
5: resounding yay on that one, William right, Perry, WCW officials, Bongo, security, the Giant, Testmaster. You went, you went through quite a list tonight. Well, let me
6: tell you something, brother. Steve Michaels, Refrigerator Perry. I got a lot of respect for you dudes on the football field. Don't ever make a mistake against me in the Macho Man's arena, brother, because. We'll take you out, brother, real fast. He's making as far all kinds of matches. I'm concerned, to destiny is etched in stone. Good luck with a nature boy, brother. And when it's all said and done, you and I are going to find out who the real champion is, brother.
1: Okay, so let's recap that a little bit here. Hulk Hogan bitches that he didn't get a title match, which he really hasn't done anything to earn. Right. Uh, the Giant comes out with a Taskmaster and Craig Pittman trying to kind of hold him back as he angrily tries to get to Hogan. Hogan runs down the aisle and hits the them with chairs some more. Mm-hmm. He just kind of sits there nailing them with chairs for a while. Then he runs back in the ring, steals the Macho Man's catchphrase right in front of him, <laughs> saying, oh, yeah. Then he demands a title shot from Macho like a complete asshole. <laughs> Macho Man runs down, like, the fact that he's got eight matches lined up already. He's <laughs> right? got to fight Flair on Nitro next week. <laughs> then he's got to fight Tenzon at Starcade. Then he has to defend his belt at Starcade. Yeah. Uh, so he says, but sure, right after that, I, he'll defend against Hogan on any planet in the solar system, basically. Yeah. The crowd does not really react to Macho Man saying they can have a match. So Hogan has to say, hey, do you like that we're going to have a match? And then they <laughs> applaud.
2: It's so shitty. Yeah. Basically, Savage confirmed that Hulk Hogan is the number three contender to the title. Yeah.
1: Then they kind of ramble on for a bit, and I honestly tuned them both out Yeah, towards the end of that.
2: Nope, I did too, because it's uh, just kind of... They get to the point eventually where they, they're talking about Hogan getting suspended. Yeah. But between Savage and Hogan, it's just kind of typical yelling back and forth between those two. The
1: one, the one thing that stands out is that Savage claims he's going to get the chair that Hogan has been beating everyone with. He's going to get Sullivan and the Giant to sign it, and then he's going to make a bunch of money on the merchandise circuit.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I like. I, it, it's <laughs> almost breaking kayfabe to picture him backstage being like, "Hey, hey, Kev, I, that's a terrible Macho Man. <laughs> I'm not going to even try to do a good one now. Just being like, you know, hey, Kev, hey Giant, would you would you sign this chair? please? Uh, I need. I, uh, Elizabeth has expensive taste. I <laughs> <laughs> she's really getting me in the divorce. Anyway, that's the end of our show. Next week, we're gonna have the uh, aforementioned title match between Savage and Flair, and uh, build more for Starcade, I guess. Because keep in mind, uh, as we've mentioned in past episodes, the focus of Starcade is the World Cup of Wrestling right. with WCW versus New Japan. We have not seen any of the New Japan guys on the show. Do they get? I don't recall it being mentioned mm. that New Japan, other than like the uh, the promo that they play during the commercials. Like, the only starcade build we get is the triangle match and then the world title match that happens afterward. Yeah, I mean... The World Cup of Wrestling is completely forgotten.
2: Yeah, I mean, Savage mentions facing Tenzan, and when he did that, I I felt like that might have been the first time they mentioned uh, anything about the World Cup of Wrestling, and that's at the very end of the show.
1: It's, Uh, It's incredible. I mean, I know we named all the matches on our podcast, but yeah, they have not actually ran down all the matches on any episode of Nitro. Right. It is, I don't know if they suddenly realized that wasn't going to be a draw in America and they just panicked. I really don't know, but mm-hmm. they clearly uh, were going to go one direction with Starcade and then freaked out and started going another direction. Yeah. Because I don't think if their original intention was to have the triangle match and the world title match, they would have booked the World Cup of Wrestling in to begin with. You know what I mean? It seems like that was a panic move. Mm-hmm. In our Raw recap this week, Jeff Jarrett defeated Fatu by disqualification when Ahmed Johnson interfered. The Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, oh. defeated Bob <laughs> Sparkplug Holly. Buddy Landell, for those who've never seen him, it's his only Raw appearance. He basically is, is a Ric Flair knockoff. He comes up to a v- pretty similar music. He wears a robe. He calls himself the Nature Boy. He has bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Uh, but he sucks. <laughs> his his finisher is a really cool corkscrew elbow, but other than that, no, no, he's awful. Razor Ramon defeated Yokozuna by count out when the Undertaker uh, came out with a casket and scared Yoko away because they were playing the angle where Yoko was afraid of caskets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also somewhere in that show, uh, Million Dollar Man announces that Xanta Claus is going to be the newest member of the Million Dollar Corporation. What? Their evil Santa character. Oh, no. Because that's really going to have a lasting life past like, oh, I don't know, uh, one week from now when it's Christmas. (laughs) Right. Which, Raw is not running a show on Christmas. They're actually not even airing that night. So, that character is... uh, The shelf life is done before it's debuted. And the show ends with a very off-putting video of Shawn Michaels highlights set to, like, uh, a ballad. That makes it seem like he
2: died. Oh, that that tell me a lie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's pretty classic raw moment where, Mm. yeah, he's you know, this is during his like, will he ever come back from being assaulted by nine Marines (laughs) in Syracuse, New York? (laughs) And yeah, they literally if you watch it, you'd think that he died if you saw it out of context. Seriously. Yeah. In our ratings roundup, Nitro wins again with a 2.7 to Raw's 2.3, 2.3. So Nitro is a uh, chock full of steam right now. They've been winning for a while.
2: Yeah, and then they, again, they have they did a good job of uh, having a match to hype up for next week.
1: Well, and next week they're unopposed, so they won already.
2: Yeah, I mean, don't, whatever rating they get for, like, a Christmas day. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, who
1: was your MVP of this particular episode?
2: Um, there weren't a lot of strong candidates, I felt, this week. Uh, so I gave mine to Ric Flair. Um I mean this week's Nitro the majority of it was hyping up the contestants in the uh the combatants in the triangle match so each each person had a match right and I felt that he had the best match and best promo after after the match so it, not 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 a strong candidate but I think it, it was the best of the bunch I am going
1: to give my MVP award of this show to Medusa uh she certainly you know, what may or may not come of that, I guess we'll have to see, but she certainly made a big splash in her debut where, you know, we're sitting here, we devoted 15, 20 minutes at the beginning of the show talking about it 20 years later. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was certainly a quite a way to make an entrance and uh, make a name for herself on this new landscape of Monday Night Wrestling. Uh, I will say we didn't really mention one thing we didn't mention. Her delivery is wooden as shit. She's like, shut yes. up, you too bat dog and it's so clearly like written beforehand and not something she comes up with on the spot she
2: she definitely has talking points to remind you that her name is medusa now now, lunder blaze that she's in wcw and this they want to get over the phrase where the big girls play and she kind of when she doesn't know what to say kind of goes back to stuff like that
1: so now that i've run her down i'm going to give her my mvp award Hooray! (laughs) what is your match of the night
2: uh, my match of the night is Eddie Guerrero versus Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, I feel like this one was kind of there isn't really much competition. But like I said before, I really like the fact that Ric Flair shows that he can work with someone with a very distinctly different style and a style that he probably just doesn't uh, doesn't have to face it that often. So
1: I'm going to go with the giant versus Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, it was not a better match than Flair versus Guerrero mm-hmm. but these some of the spots that found a way to showcase The Giant in new and cool ways throwing Randy over the top rope uh-huh. tossing him across the ring by his neck uh, and especially going for an insane looking top rope splash <laughs> right. really The Giant would have been a good choice for MVP but I I'm sticking with Lundra Blaze but I'm going to give match of the night to The Giant versus Randy Macho man,
2: but, savage. But remember, she's not a Blaze anymore. Oh, thank you.
1: She's Medusa. Oh, God, she, she only mentioned it nine times.
2: She said, I, "I always will, always have been, always will be." Oh, by the way, I used to be Lunderblaze.
1: <laughs> I like that part. All right. So, overall, what do you think of the show before
2: we sign off here? Uh, I don't. I don't think it was very strong. I mean, the Medusa dropping the tile in the trash is uh, obviously a huge moment. But it doesn't make the rest of the show stick out. It's uh, they're 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 working towards Starcade and uh, you know trying to highlight the guys in the triangle match. But other than that, it's okay.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is a pretty so-so episode. I'm really, I can't believe how bad the build is for Starcade when that's supposed to be their WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it seems like Halloween Havoc. I mean, at least for the—we've only been watching since Nitro debuted, so I don't know about the entire year of 1995. But really, in the time that we have watched, Halloween Havoc seemed like a much bigger card. World War III seemed like a much bigger card. Even Fall Brawl seemed like a much bigger card, and that wasn't really promoted on Nitro at all.
2: No, I mean, the only difference between those other three um, is that with Fall Brawl and uh, World War III— they only really hyped, like, a single match on there. Yeah. Whereas I really feel like Halloween Havoc, they did a pretty good job of talking about different, like, the Savage, uh, Luger. Sting and uh, Arn. Yeah.
1: Sting and Flair taking on Arn and Pillman. Yeah, I agree with you.
2: Yeah, so uh, that was the one that they, so far, this is now our fourth pay-per-view during Nitro. That that one got good hype. These other three have are just, like, forgotten, basically. Right.
1: Well... We'll see next week if they do a better job promoting uh, Starcade on the Go Home Show, which is airing on Christmas. So jingle your bells, everyone, because we will see you next week where the big boys play 20 Years of Nitro.
0: There are no allegiances to life. You've got to do the best you can for yourself. If somebody's in your way, squash them like a grape. Simple. Ha. That's why you have no friends or no family, my friend.